1: Welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times weekly podcast on the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz, and even by the dizzying standards of the last couple of years, this has been a heck of a week in Forex. We've had the dollar getting whacked by new revelations about Donald Trump, the euro getting a lot of buying, taking it pretty much towards $1.12, Emerging markets are getting steamrolled by all sorts of issues from China, a new Brazilian bribery scandal and what looks like general risk aversion out there in the market. And the pound, hey, it's back above $1.30 for the first time since September. This week's guest with the task of making sense of it all, welcome Jane Foley, Forex strategist from Rubberbank. Jane, let's start with the dollar, down more than about 3% against the yen in the last week. Investors seem to be very focused on all these Washington ructions. Are are they? paying too much attention to it? Perhaps they were paying no attention to it at all and they should have been paying some, but are they are they looking at too much? I
2: think it's perhaps not the politics per se, but it's it's the implications of the politics. And to put it in simple terms, uh, the market is concerned that if Trump has got his hands full with fending off one scandal after the other, then he's quite simply not going to be able to put through those tax reforms, and regulation cuts that he'd promised back in November. Now, already I think the market was beginning to come around to that notion. In fact, we look back really to the start of the year, we see these big divides within the the Republican Party. Uh, and we also see that the, the fact that uh, the budget deficit outlook, given the aging demographic, suggests that he can't push through uh, unfunded uh, tax cuts anyway. So the market was perhaps already becoming disappointed. Uh, but if we look at positioning, irrespective of where it's moved in the last week or two, what we do see is that positioning on the dollar has moved back to where it was in around about mid-November, just before that US election.
1: Just before the US election. In other words, there the kind of the, the wasn't that much interest in the dollar at the time.
2: That's right. Back in, of course, November the 10th or so, there, there was this perception that it was going to be Clinton that would, yes. that would take the, the White House. Yes. And after we had the, the Trump victory, there was a massive push-up in, in long dollar positions. And this was built around the perception that cuts in regulation, cuts in taxes would, would fuel US growth and push Federal Reserve interest rates So the much Trump higher.
1: trade is dead effectively Uh, but this but this week's movement is more than that isn't it It, it's 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 it's, it's now going there's a trump negativity about well perhaps there's a trump negativity but
2: i think really we, we must look at the differences in other currencies now, today, relative to where the perceptions were of these currencies back in November, and of course there's been a lot of change, and particularly with respect to the euro. Now, if you go back to the end of last year, the outlook for the euro was very much in the doldrums, or, or very negative, and and we had, had then a lot of concern about politics, populism, nationalism in Europe, mm. and we also had lots of concerns about very slow economic growth in the euro. Now, almost from the word go at the start of this year, the data picked up in the eurozone, and for the last few months there's been a debate about policy will they change that forward guidance will they remove some of that uh, a huge amount of stimulus at the end of this year at the beginning of next year That is a debate which is new to this year and has certainly been something which has supported the euro. Put on top of that, the fact that we've got Macron and not Le Pen in the French uh, Elysee. And and suddenly we seem to have um, a a better outlook for the euro. And that has fueled some of these flows. And
1: and what what goes around comes around. uh, Presumably very soon we'll be asking whether Mario Draghi starts worrying about uh, this this euro level getting into the 112 territory.
2: Well, certainly for, for central bankers, I would say it's often the pace of moves rather than the... The absolute levels which can worry them more now right now i would say the pace is not too worrying i'd also actually say that the level shouldn't be too worrying after because if you look at where fair value should be if we look for instance at simple purchasing power parity models (PPP models if we look for instance at the oecd's estimate for fair value on a PPP model for euro dollar it's at 125 yes. so the euro right now is undervalued the dollar is overvalued Now, not all models, of course, put it at 125, um, but many do put it at higher levels than where we are today. So from that point of view, uh, the, the euro is still relatively soft. But certainly, if we saw a lot of volatility, central banks won't welcome that general, as a general rule. And if we did see a, a, another sharp spike in the value of, of the euro, hmm, yeah, perhaps they would begin to get a little concerned. OK,
1: um, let's look at what's happening in emerging markets Um there is uh, a lot of risk aversion. It feels out there on Thursday. Um, there is this Brazilian banking scandal, which which isn't <laughs> helping matters much. But um, perhaps to explain this, we probably need to look at the, what's going on with the the reflation trade, and whether we have been worrying not enough about data coming out of China. And the U.S.
2: I think there's a couple of elements here. I mean, firstly, with respect to the deflationary trade, there had been this big perception in the market, and, and certainly, if you look at the March interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve, that didn't rattle the emerging emerging uh, emerging markets very much at all. And the perception was, well, as long as global growth is good, U.S. growth is good, then the U.S. interest rate hike surely it's a good thing because yeah. it's a it's it's a symptom of strength in the global economy. Now. You, you move that forward now and the market is anticipating that the, the Fed could still go in June. But if you're hiking interest rates in the US against a backdrop of perhaps more wobbly data, more concerns about global growth, then it's more difficult to pass that off as a, as a, as a positive thing for emerging markets.
1: anticipating the Fed reverses course over pretty much? telling the market to expect a June They certainly
2: were, they certainly were so this could be quite tricky uh, for them and again it's down to communication Um, maybe perhaps they will say well we're going in in June but perhaps uh, dilute their their guidance just a little bit and maybe that guidance will be to do with the balance sheet, indicate that they're not going to start selling off those assets anytime soon, that sort of reassurance. So a little bit of reassurance perhaps is probably necessary at this stage if they do choose to go in June but for emerging markets of course there's been news from Brazil which is worrying, this Again, mm. implying that the president is caught up in the system of, of of favors, political favors. Nothing new there. Nothing new there. But of course, that could destabilize the the systems of reforms. So sure. for the economy, that could be quite negative. And of course, a common denominator in everything emerging no, markets, no. often I know China.
1: What you're
2: going to say. China, go on. <laughs> it is China. And of course, uh, you know what we have in in China is more concerns perhaps of, of late about the huge amount of debt, 200% of GDP yes. debt in China and not just the debt itself but the, the huge pace at which that has been built up. Now there has been some tightening of, of liquidity in China. To deal with that this is ahead of that important uh, Congress uh, a political Congress in the autumn. Which, which was meant to be calming
1: things. <laughs> That's why this whole year has been so complacent about China wasn't it?
2: Well perhaps we had good growth at the start of the year and uh, the market thought well we've got this Congress isn't they're not going to do anything perhaps to, to rock boat ahead of this, this political uh, system in, in in the autumn. However, there are concerns about China, not just the debt, but you, you do see many economists coming out and saying, well, look at some of the other data. Look at the fact that job hiring in the private sector is not very good, that, that profits are plateauing in the private sector, that in fact a lot of the growth is coming from public sector. A lot of this is related to credit growth. So there are concerns about China um, and of course, uh, if you look back over the last month or so, we've had a a lot of pressure on commodities such as iron ore, that of course is linked yes. to steel. And that is, of course, not only is it produced by Australia, but it's produced by Brazil, another emerging market country. And of course, China, the biggest consumer of commodities in the world, that means that any sniff in China often does feed back to the emerging market world quite, quite soon. Okay.
1: Um, the pound. Jane, yes. Uh, <laughs> through one thirty, I mean, this was weird, wasn't it? I mean, not so much weird. I suppose we were all talking about it, but actually, the wages growth was really troubling, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Uh, inflation was at two point seven. Wages were nowhere near 2. that. Two point one. 2.1. and and yet along come the it says stonking retail. Data and bang, there goes sterling all the way through 130. As if the market was saying, "Yeah, yeah, we don't really care about wages. What we really want to do is just take the pound through 130." Well, it, do you agree? There was a certain market pent-up, we pent-up desire. We've been
2: watching that 130 level for a while mm. now, but of course, you've got to say that would—I I would say that it, that would unlikely have gone if it wasn't for the fact that the market is selling the dollar anyway. Yeah. So this is this is, of course. Partly, or perhaps largely, because the dollar is on the back foot this week, and therefore it made one thirty a lot more vulnerable. Very attainable, yeah. So um, what we've seen really in, in in sterling this year is a lot of people covering their short positions, mm-hmm. a huge amount of short positions. In fact, record short positions uh, had built up in the in sterling by around about March. That's
1: done now, isn't it? Or mostly.
2: This is it. I I would I would agree with you there. If we look back over the last week, mm. in fact, if we go back to the inflation report day, a big day for for sterling. And we certainly had some hawkish takeaways from the Bank of England, and yet Sterling didn't react. Now, that suggests to me that a lot of the short covering pressures that we've been seeing for the last two months... Mainly done. The fact that we went through 130 today, I think, is, is largely because of a dollar move. Uh, and I would say that there are perhaps still people out there looking for levels around here, perhaps to sell sterling.
1: Well, the, the dollar was the backdrop for the retail sales to take it there. Yes. Uh, so it remains, that it remains that, in other words, sterling remains a dollar call rather than a,
2: today definitely yeah i mean again if we look at this retail sales data yes it was better than expected yes it is good news but as you mentioned relearnings now are lower mm. if we look at um savings rates in the uk they're close to record low. so people don't have a lot of savings to make up for the fact that they can spend or they've got less money to spend because inflation's taken uh, eroded their earnings so from that point of view And because the Office of National Statistics said one of the big reasons for retail sales being strong in in April was good weather. We live in England. We know that's not going to last.
1: Jane, is it fair to say you've been relatively bearish on sterling this year?
2: Um, I actually haven't been as bearish as many commentators. And the reason for that Mm. was because I was... Always of the view that euro dollar would push back to 110, right? And therefore, my forecasts for cable were a lot higher
0: right. than
2: many commentators. I never saw it breaking down below 120. Yes. I always, I've, in fact, but, my view is that it should be around about 125.
1: But do you think I mean, the, the question, obviously, is what is what next? And you think you think we are in this kind of range? We, we won't move I too far th- away from this?
2: I still think that we could. Perhaps go back to the 125 level in in cable. I think above 130 will be difficult to hold um, because of the uncertainties about trade and and Brexit unless the dollar Mm. really begins to sell off heavily. And for that to happen, I think we'd need another round of very, very weak US data, which we're not
1: forecasting. But this this week feels like it tells you a lot about the euro, doesn't it? It, it
2: tells you a lot about the euro. It tells you a lot about positioning. And yeah. it does suggest that money is coming back into Europe, yes. not just from the US, but probably from emerging so markets all too.
1: The, all the factors seem to be in, in the euro's favor. We've got Macron. We've got good eurozone data. We've got problems for, for the US. We've got a risk off climate. Um, and where are, you, where are you taking the well, euro to?
2: Don't forget another thing that I would say about the euro. Don't forget this is a, a, a region with a very strong current account surplus. Yes. What does that mean in layman's sense? Well, it means that there is a surplus of savers. And in times of crisis, money tends to come home. So the euro does have these quasi safe haven qualities. I won't go as far as to say it's a safe haven, but sometimes it does exhibit this sort of behaviour. And I think given the the improvement in fundamentals that you've just referred to, money is coming home to the eurozone. It's it's bolstering the euro right now. Now, our year-end forecasts... Well, our year end forecast was one hundred ten and then we thought saw it going up to one twelve. Now clearly those forecasts have been met Mm. sooner than anticipated. I haven't yet pushed them up and the reason for that is that I want to Here, in June, if the Fed say anything about their balance sheet, because if they start selling off those assets, that could be a huge uh, tightening of liquidity in US dollars. But the way things are going now, it could be. But the way things are going now, I'm anticipating that they're probably going to leave that one well alone Mm. for now, meaning that the euro could have free reign to put on
1: Wow, what a week! My thanks to Jane Foley of Rabobank. Lots to digest next week: an OPEC meeting, a G7 summit coming towards the end, and who knows what other Washington mischief. When will it all end? Join us again next week for hard currency. Goodbye.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.